Ecclesiastes chapter 12 this morning. I hope, as was just sung and as we've sung together, that meditating upon God becoming man is often your experience throughout the whole year. And it's tremendous spiritual value to all of us. I don't know, I think I like the choir singing in surround sound this morning. Does that sound a little bit different to you from where you were seated? I mean, I'm right up front. Did it sound better in the back? Yeah, Abby, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's that shape of the, would you say? The acoustics? Yeah. I'm thinking that might need to be a thing here. We'll see. (laughs) We'll figure that out somehow. When we build a new building, we'll build it in a crescent shape. All right. If you're a guest this morning, you probably found uh, two, uh, well, more than two things other than the chocolate. Um, You probably found a little uh, guest card there. We'd love to have knowledge of your guest visit and pray for you and get in touch with you about our church family. And um, more importantly, there's a pamphlet in there called Simple Christianity. And uh, if you're not able to comprehend anything that's said today, I, I trust that you'll have time sometime this week to, to pull that pamphlet out and work through it um, and understand uh, who Jesus is and uh, your need for him. Um, if we never see each other again, I certainly hope uh, that you understand the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and will certainly crescendo to that finish here this morning. Let's read chapter 12. For those of you that are guests with us this morning, we try to study one book a year. This has been the book of Ecclesiastes for us this year, and uh, we're wrapping up uh, this series on Ecclesiastes this morning, and um, we're so glad that you could be here with us, but uh, we're looking at chapters 9 through 12, which is a four-chapter conclusion of this book. We mentioned nine different wisdom principles in verses 9 in chapters, uh, excuse me, chapters 10 and 11 uh, last week, all of chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11. We're going to continue on with those wisdom principles this morning. It's almost as if Solomon's invited every believer to his front porch and offers them a cold glass of lemonade on a hot day and says, sit down and let's have a few musings together about all that we understood in the first eight chapters. Some wisdom, common sense. Uh, to life that's worth remembering and certainly worth living. We did not read chapter 12 last week, so let's do that at this time. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And that really is a a verse that has everything to do with verses 9 through 10, which we'll look at here in just a little bit of chapter 11. But it is a segue to the address to age, old age. He speaks to youth at the end of chapter 11 and And crescendos here to speaking to those who are growing older. He says, I will have, (laughs) remember your creator in the days of your youth before the day, the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain and the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop, The grinding ones stay idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dim. And the doors of the street are shut and the sound of the grinding mill is low and one will arise 
at the sound of the bird and the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road and the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home with mourners. Well, mourners go about the streets, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write the words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body and the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Last week, if you'll recall with me very briefly, we said that wisdom would ask us not to underestimate the impact or the influence of foolishness. We, we learned that we should always remember that the leadership that we follow is flawed. We learned that we should know that wisdom doesn't keep us from enduring risk. Or, or danger, and we should always remember our words have more power than we think, and we studied that for quite a while, and wisdom would have us know that even political leaders can be unwise and overindulgent, and sometimes incapable, and sometimes indifferent, and we learned the principle that while we have the opportunity to do good to those in need, that we ought to do it first two verses of chapter 11. We should always learn from nature how to care for those in need. And when we have the opportunity to do the right thing, verse four, my goodness, we certainly should do it. And then finally, we learned that be, we ought to be cautious or careful not to allow ourselves to be distracted by amazement or by difficulty. Don't be imbalanced by being consumed overwhelmed or underwhelmed by either amazement or frustration or difficulty. We're going to continue on this morning into the latter part of chapter 11, uh, which discusses where we finished last week, making sure that we embrace simple things in life as we have them. Verse 7, the light is pleasant, it is good for the eyes to see the sun, and indeed, if, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in all of them, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility, and Solomon is saying there, while you have this energy, I think that youth is going to describe that we have. In verses 9 through 10 of chapter 11, while you have this energy, make sure that you are disciplining your life to enjoy 
simple pleasures that are good. We're not going to rehash all those simple pleasures that Solomon does here. We've done that enough. But remember, six times in these 12 chapters, the wisest man who ever lived, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, said that we ought to be a joyful people. And one of the main ways that we discipline ourselves unto remaining joy, be, being joyful is by using our energy while we have it to embrace simple things. You wake up very discouraged on a morning for whatever reason. The old man in you is, is still an old man <laughs> spiritually and you're struggling and you, and you get out of bed and where do you find that joy? You discipline yourself to read the word, right? You discipline yourself to be with your God in prayer. And when you're done with that, what do you do? You discipline yourself to find those in your family that you can easily love or express love to. See, you live alone. Well, then you find something simple and joyful that you enjoy and you go do it. God's called us to live joyful lives and enjoying and embracing those simple things that really don't cost us much money or any money at all is something that we ought to be doing and pursuing. One of those simple things that we like to do even in this season is, is um, decorate our house and as we celebrate um, the coming of the Lord Jesus and his first advent. And uh, this is something that I love to do with my kids. It's something that I love to do with my wife. And, and I, there's something about that simple activity that, that, that pulls me out of grumpiness to joy. You have blessed me with many peppermint bark Oreos since I first mentioned it. I have a year's supply. <laughs> so if those are re-gifted in any Christmas fellowship party venue, you'll know. No, I'm just kidding. I will make sure, my kids will make sure they're all uh, taken care of right in our own home. Those are simple pleasures that, that we wrestle ourselves to. If you love to fish, if you love to hike, uh, if you just love to walk, stroll, take leisurely promenades to the woods if you love to get out on a December afternoon when it's going to be 50 degrees and rake your leaves that are recently fallen do it do it and don't regret it so enjoy life's simple pleasures I want to highlight two things here though as we head into this discussion on living wisely in the various um, seasons of age or age seasons in life. I'm going to point these two things out not to start or to continue in somewhat of a, of a negative light. I'm going to point these two verses out so that we understand what it means to live joyfully. He says here when he addresses youth, um, something very, very sobering. He says here in, in, in the latter part of verse number nine, 
follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you into judgment for all these things. And you remember verse 14 of chapter 12? For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Many of us, when we were growing up, when we were taught the judgment of God on the believer's life, we were taught the judgment of God in somewhat of a performance-based living. If you don't do this, then this will be your reality. We were taught 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think that's a great text to cross-reference in the margin of your Bible here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when the believer, when we as the local church face the Bema seat, that, that that was going to be a day of difficulty. And when Solomon writes, we cannot look at the judgment of God apart from the six mentions of living in, in joy in our lives either. The whole point of mentioning the judgment of the Lord or the discernment of the Lord on our behalf as believers is to remind us and to compel us to make decisions that cause our lives to be lived in joy. The warning of coming judgment for a believer here obviously is not eternal judgment. This is judgment upon the faithful ways in which we lived or did not live as children of God. And the reality is here, live life to the fullest, live it on purpose, live it with energy, live it with eternal purpose, live it joyfully, enjoying all these simple things, and you really won't have to worry about <laughs> incurring the negative discernment of God upon your life. When that day comes, we stand before his bema seat. Judgment is mentioned here only as a reminder of how we should live our lives in joy. Solomon doesn't mention this often throughout the book, but two times here in its final verses for good reason. He mentions it once in relationship to youth and once in relationship to age. I think we need to remember here that when he mentions youth and age and the opposite ends of the spectrum of, of life, that really he's addressing everybody. <laughs> Starts with the young and finishes with the old. And, and remember, everybody needs to recall to mind that there's going to be a day that you're going to give an account to God for how you lived this joyful life that he intended you to live. And that's okay. That's okay. If that judgment compels you to live faithfully, then so be it. <laughs> God is not a God that stands waiting to bring condemnation to his children. Salvifically, that's just not going to happen anyway, right? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But God is a loving Heavenly Father. And a loving father on earth wants all that is good and joyful for his children. So whether you're young or whether you're old, live life on purpose this way, and you really won't have to worry about 
shedding a tear in the presence of God someday as one of his children. Our culture bears out this reality of judgment of sorts with employees at companies. You have a quarterly or a, a biannual evaluation, right? The world understands this. Sometimes you might have a family meeting a couple times a year where you bring the family together to discuss some of the more difficult things in life that need to be worked through. Our own country has elections every other year and a major election every fourth year. Why? Well, those, those elections are pretty much the people casting their vote, which is a judgment upon how they felt their elected leaders performed. This kind of judgment didn't exist before man fell into sin. Right? There was no judgment. Just enjoyment. Are you with me? <laughs> when man fell into sin, there still should be enjoyment, but judgment's inevitable because of our condition. So again, when we're judged, we're not judged as to our position in Jesus Christ. But we will be judged as to our person, as to how we practically pursued the wisdom that's being outlined here for us. And that's not a scary thing. It truly only becomes somewhat of a scary thing when we're living unfaithfully, doesn't it? If you think about it. Your children in your homes, your grandchildren in their homes, they don't live in abject fear of their parents. I hope not if their parents love them well. And they'll never live in fear of their parents if they're honoring their parents. So the judgment here is, is mentioned as a reminder. It's a tool of God's grace to compel us to remember to embrace these simple things, to embrace joy, to make sure your, your bags are packed well with the memory of embracing many simple, joyful pleasures in life. So when those inevitable dark days come, as we said last week, you get off that exit ramp of that dark days, you've got a suitcase of joyful memories to live out of for a while during those dark times. And so you're remembering that balance, right? Even in a difficult time, you're able to live faithfully because you remember what the Lord allowed you to enjoy in the good days. You don't get bitter. You grow. Judgment's coming. That's easy to understand. The discipline is ours by grace to live and to do these things. So anyways, let's continue on here. Um, just a little note on, on, on coming judgment. For those of you that are newer to the Lord, you may not grasp all that. Um, but just understand we're not speaking of eternal condemnation. We're talking about a father's discernment of a child's life. Right? A father's discernment of a child's life. But again, he gives us all this wisdom to make sure that that evaluation... <laughs> That evaluation at the Bema seat uh, is done with pleasure and with joy because we disciplined ourselves unto these things that are written for us here. 
He says here, rejoice in verse nine, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Basically what he's saying here, there's a tremendous opportunity to do right things when you're young and you've got a a lot of energy to do those right things when you're young. And young people should make the right choices having understood Jesus Christ and having understood his word better and better. As Paul tells Timothy, was expressive of his own life in 2 Timothy 3, 13, 14, and 15, where Timothy knew the scriptures from a child and they made him wise unto salvation. And then they taught him, they instructed him, they corrected him unto every good work and, and being a faithful young man. He told Timothy, let no man despise your youth. Pursue these virtues. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The Old Testament gives us plenty of examples of youth who honored God with no regrets. So live life. Serve God. Passionately while you have the strength to do it and do it with no regrets. And what are the regrets here? They're listed here. Verse 10, so remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. What does he mean by that? Well, it's simple here. I think there's two things mentioned here. Remove grief and anger from your heart. Remove grief and anger from your heart. Obviously, we know the Bible says if we regard iniquity in our hearts that the Lord won't hurt us, hear us. But the wording of wisdom here teaches that there can be even physical pain that comes from foolish choices. There's emotional pain here and there's physical pain here. And I believe the scripture teaches that this can be our reality for sure if we're not careful Grief and anger, it's fascinating to me how grief and anger and bitterness can govern so many young lives. So many young lives. It's amazing to me how grief and anger captivate and paralyze so many young lives. It's a dangerous way to go, to be sure, but I understand how it's enveloped and developed in children's lives when Their homes are not as God would have them to be. And they don't have maternal or fraternal examples to look at that honor God. Maybe they're growing up in a broken home. There's all kinds of things that can cause young people to be angry and to be full of grief. And yet their responsibility is not to be the victim of their circumstances. He says, in your youth, strive to do what you can do, but in your youth, it's still your responsibility to remove grief, to remove physical pain from your life. Putting away pain from their bodies, I... As I understand the context and I understand our context, youth loves to play and to exercise and to do some extreme things, certainly. Um, But I think there's a twofold application here. Be wise. Um, I think some of you read this last week. The um, 
Maybe you've seen the documentary uh, Free Solo. Um, if you have the new Disney app, I'm sure you saw it, if you haven't seen it yet. Free soloing is, is climbing very, in very, very dangerous places without the use of ropes or tools. It's just your hands and your feet. Just this last week, a very world-renowned um, free solo climber fell to their death having fallen 1,200 feet. And there's great risk in that. But Solomon says here, don't fear risk. He's not talking about the risk that can hurt the body intentionally. <laughs> right? But he says to remove this from your life. But I think too, in our context of more of a 1 Corinthians 6, you can write in the margin of your Bible here, reality, where uh, even youthful passions for intimacy outside biblical guidelines can cause the body hurt. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 6, where the Corinthian believers had fallen back into an immoral lifestyle, enjoying uh, physical intimacy with someone of the opposite sex outside the context of marriage. And it says, this is why some of your bodies are hurting. There's a physical pain caused by ungoverned, youthful impulses, natural desires. And he says, rejoice, young man. Live life to the fullest. Do all the good you possibly can. But remember, regardless of your circumstances, it's still your responsibility to repent when you need to. Right? And God gives you the ability to live this type of joyful yet disciplined life along the way. I think James chapter one, where temptation, if it's not handled well, turns to sin and sin turns to death. And my friends, that's bondage. Often we think of the judgment of God and consequences because of our sin as bondage. No, 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 no. That's self-inflicted bondage. <laughs> Temptation unaddressed leads to death. That's self-inflicted bondage. But Galatians chapter 5 says, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and so forth and so on, against such, there is no ceiling. There is no law. Pursue those things, living a joyful, simple life. And there's really nothing you have to worry about when it comes to physical pain or grief. So young people, it's important for us to remember not to sacrifice good and permanent things while being governed by uncontrolled passion. As I grew up, I said, boy, that sounds awfully performance-based. Like, I can make some decision on impulse now that can have consequences for the rest of my life. And that's not how God's grace works, really? Well, remember, you're positionally protected in Jesus Christ. But if you're truly transformed and you're walking with God, your desires are going to be to walk away from those ungoverned youthful impulses, not walk in them. But if you decide to step away from being governed by God and out of fellowship with him, you're going to do these things in an environment that's not disciplined. And yes, those consequences can last the rest of your life. 
that's certainly not God's desire for you. He wants you to rejoice, to do good, to serve him, to love life, to live it with eternal purpose. You won't have to worry about those things. Why do we want to rejoice and, and to live life with this kind of energy as young people while we temper it with, with self-discipline and, and repentance when necessary? Because there's going to come a time when we're going to be old, right? And we're going to think back on the days when we had the energy to serve God, and we really want to get to that older age with no regrets or little to regret as possible right we can do for God what we can do for God will greatly be limited chapter 12 tells us when the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say I have no delight in them this is Solomon's reality he's writing this at the end of his life he's understanding what physical declension or decline is And there are certain days when he wakes up and he doesn't want to wake up in the body that he now has, right? And he's thinking back about all those days that he lived in his youth, right? Where he didn't practice discipline. Didn't live repentance. I'm sure he's got a few regrets. Like probably 999 of them in female form. And he says, for you, no, you don't have to do that. Understand what it means to rejoice in your youth. Govern your passions by God's grace in Christ through his word, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because when you get old, you can't rewind that tape. He goes through here, I believe, 10 different physical descriptions of what it means to be old. Just this reminder to us that you can't undo what's been done, what age has done, right? Verse three, he talks about shaking limbs, which are the watchmen of the house. This last summer, I decided to go out and use a 10-pound sledgehammer for about an hour straight. And I woke up the next morning a different man. (laughs) My hands were shaking. My body was sore. I could not use my the watchman of my house for about a whole day. Could barely even raise my keys to start my car. Right? Verse 3 also talks about the, the grind, grinding one standing idle and your teeth chip, your teeth fall out, they get infected, they become few. And that affects our nutrition and our enjoyment of food and obviously ultimately our diet and and sometimes when that even happens, we have to take other helps like Tums and Prevacid and these other things. Verse 3 also talks about failed eyesight, doesn't it? I never wore these until a year and a half ago. Right? I'm still not to the bifocal stage, but readers are enough. Then we move to cataracts and muscular degeneration and, 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 right? 
Verse 4 tells us that we don't have the ability to communicate as we once did. The, the doors of the street are shut. Short-term memory issues begin to come, let alone long-term memory. You'll get to the middle of a sentence that you're, you're confidently able to state, and you get to the middle of the sentence, and you, a word drops out of it, and you can't recall it. And that's ridiculously frustrating, right? I was recently at a restaurant that's mostly full of older people. And it's always really quiet in there. And I didn't really understand why it was always quiet in there until I read this text and studied this text. I wonder if they can't remember what they were supposed to talk about. I don't know. And I'm thinking, reading this text and sitting in that restaurant, and I'll go back, and they'll be there, and it'll be quiet again. It's like, oh my, that's me, soon. And they're just enjoying the presence of somebody because carrying on a conversation, I suppose, gets a little difficult in times. I don't know. Verse 4 talks about sleeping disorders. The older we get, why do we get up before the sun does? We rise up with the sound of the bird. I'm not going to go into all the details why we get up early, but it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> Basically, he's saying sleep is easily interrupted, and that's true. I really believe he's talking about our, 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 musical, ap our musical aptitude is in decline here, where all the daughters of song will sing softly. Maybe able to carry a tune, or I used to be able to whistle so well, or hum with a good memory, a favorite song. It can't apply here, I think. For food, for intimacy, for conversation. They all wane. Smell, taste. Verses 6 and 7 describe eloquently the final failure of our earthly body. There's simple reminders here through verse 8 that life's short. The Spirit of the Lord gives us, we'll soon go back to Him. So live life with eternal purpose with all your might now because the ability to do so as we get older gradually disappears. How many of you over 65 here would stand and love to just shout this to those who are under 65 here? Listen to what Solomon's saying. Trust me, don't, <laughs> don't walk away from wisdom. While you're young, serve the Lord. Rejoice in the opportunity to do so. Do wise, faithful things. Enjoy all of those natural desires that God's given you with a scriptural discipline. That's the most joyful way to live life. And his final words of conclusion here begin in verse 9 of chapter 12. 
regardless whether you're young or whether you're old, don't keep this message of wisdom to yourself. That's what he says in verse 9. Don't keep it to yourself. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And I think this bodes well in a culture that we have no idea where this will end up, but we're trying to build here in a disciple-making culture. Don't keep this to yourself. Share this wisdom with one another, whether young or old. Help each other embrace and to pursue this joyful, disciplined living. Try to live with little regret as you seek to honor God. Don't keep the secrets of spiritual success to yourself. Share them. Letter part of verse 9 and 10 just talks about how important it is to make sure we continue to handle God's word carefully. He uses words like take heed, or he sought out, or he set in order, and understood what acceptable words were and what truth was. And we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For correction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfected, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Handle God's Word, this Word of wisdom wisely. Make sure that it's the centerpiece of your life for living. God has given us a sufficient Savior and a sufficient Scripture to be able to live a simple and joyful life of perseverance and obedience. He says here to remember to always appreciate the message also that you've learned and been taught and then tells us how to appreciate it. Verse 11 so the words of the wise man are like goads, they're like nails, and they come from a source, a shepherd. A goad here would have been a tool that a shepherd would have used. It would have been a long rod and may have had a little metal tip on the end of it for, for prodding. It was there to motivate the sheep to do the right thing. <laughs> That's the picture here. It's a nudge, it's not a stab. Right? It's a goad. It's a nudge to do the right thing. Take God's word and allow it to motivate you to do the right thing. But remember, verse 9, you're not going to do it alone. We're going to share this message together. And as you do that, as you do that, it's very, very easy to see. Your collection, collections are like well-driven nails. The masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. These are the the things that stabilize us and establish us in continuing to do the right thing together. And don't ever forget the source. The source is the shepherd, and the shepherd's the judge. The Old Testament mindset in this culture would have understood this shepherd to be Yahweh, Jehovah. The God who doesn't break his promises. The God who's faithful. This is a loving shepherd who knows what's best for his sheep, So we certainly don't want to keep the message to ourselves. Verse 9, we want to handle the message with the greatest care. Verse 9 and verse 10, and we always want to appreciate the message that we've learned and that we've been taught, and we appreciate it by making sure that we're using it to properly motivate us, stabilize us, and to remind us of the source of that word. 
And my friends, the warmest, richest, most intentional life to be lived is found in verse 13. Always remember to fear God and to keep his commandments. G. Campbell Morgan on Ecclesiastes wrote in his book called The Unfolding Message of the Bible that man in his entirety must begin with God in everything. And he must begin with the whole of himself with a proper fear of God. And when Solomon looked at life, he saw fragmented pieces and not much order and sense when he was walking that life without God. But when he considered life from God's point of view, everything came together and everything came together unto eternal purpose. The ultimate why God put him on earth anyway. So again, as we've found six times the thread of what it means to live a joyful life, we realize that living a joyful life must include, it must include living life on purpose. And that must include living life with eternal purpose. If you've come here for the past year and you've endured through many messages on the book of Ecclesiastes and you've done so without the Lord Jesus Christ, this whole thing probably sounds somewhat religious to you. If I just do this and don't do this, then I'm going to be okay. And that, my friends, is not the message that Solomon's trying to give. This message will only be understood by those who know God. And the only way we know God is to know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I really, I really believe in, in, in the last chapter of my Bible here, the most appropriate verse of the New Testament to write down here, other than 1 Peter 4.19, would be 1 John 5.12. If we're really going to know life, we have to know him who is life. If we're going to really know what it means to live life on purpose, we've got to live the life of Jesus. We've got to understand he who is the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that has not the Son of God does not have life. All one-syllable words in the most simplistic understanding of what it means to live life to the fullest, period. You have no ability to live a joyful, governed, disciplined life without the joyful, governed, disciplined life of our Savior. You can't do it. I meet with these boys. We're meeting tonight after the Christmas fellowship. Again, several boys that have recently made professions of faith. And, and we begin every Bible study with these three boys with this question. How did God continue to change your life since we met last? We don't start with, if you died today, do you know for sure where you're going? If God doesn't change our lives and the way we live, then we truly haven't understood life that Christ gives. And the life that Christ gives is not just transformational, it does regenerate us. It does take us from being uh, an old man to a new man with lots of opportunities to do the right thing the right way. For what purpose? For a missional purpose. 
You say, there you go, Pastor Tim. Back to that missional thing. Well, my friends, that we own the life of Christ and that's the life that's changed us. Well, that's the reason why he came. Amen. Right? That's Philippians 2. He had no problem being equal with God. He was God, he is God. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a man, a servant. And he lived a life, and he was obedient even unto the death of what? The cross. And why did the God-man have to die? He died for your sin. So when we own his life, why do we live? We live joyfully. We live wisely. We endure through a broken world. All these things that we've studied in Ecclesiastes, and we have to ask ourselves the question, then what does it mean that Christ came to give life and to give life more abundantly? It has to lead to eternal purpose. It must. So do you have the Son? Has He changed the way you live? You don't know the Son until He's changed the way you live. You don't have the Son until you begin to live like the Son lived. You don't have Christ if you are living life with no joy. <laughs> because to live the life that Christ lived is a life of joy. And just because you're seated here this morning means it's not too late for you to embrace the life of Jesus Christ. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him and allow him to give you rest for your soul. Right? That's it. Right? Amen. <laughs> Someone's on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you see what I'm saying, folks? Well, so when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in Judgment Day, right? Did you live joyfully? You persevered by grace? You understood my word? And certainly it was every value to you that it was descri described here in that series Pastor Tim taught in Ecclesiastes. And the Lord Jesus Christ with his purifying eyes of fire reviews all those things with you and then he asks you why did you let me change your life and why did I change your life? Why did I make you joyful through the word? Why did I do all that? Did you keep that whole message to yourself? Did you assist other believers with that message? And, and, and by the way, did did anyone in your town ever know about me and what I did to change your life and why? Jesus Christ came to give life and to give my life more abundantly. And as we discussed in Sunday school this morning, we have no understanding of the gospel influence in our lives and first we understand, until we understand the redemptive purposes of the gospel. You must be born again. 
You must be born again and allow Jesus Christ to transform you so Jesus Christ can saturate you in the way you live and so that you can go out and live his life on purpose. Let's pray together.